Well, uh, let's just jump right in. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. If you need to borrow a Bible, you guys know the spiel. Just raise your hand real high and the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow along with us. If you were here last week, uh, you're going to notice I, I'm, we're going to back up to verse 25 and basically cover again or retread some verses that we've already talked about, but I think it's important that we do to help just keep the context of this last section here before we get to chapter 13. So uh, I entitled our message this morning, really just taking out of the text, an unshakable kingdom. And that is what God has uh, brought us into, and that is what God gives us, an unshakable kingdom. If you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, please. Hebrews 12, again, verse 25 is where we'll start. I'll read aloud, and you can follow along in your Bibles. The writer says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now, by contrast, he's promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only earth, but also heaven. And now the writer gives us his exposition as he's quoting from that Old Testament passage. He says, Now this, quote, yet once more, it indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. He explains what those things are as of the things that are made, and the idea is so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And here's the conclusion. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And then he tells us something very sobering, for our God is a consuming fire. All right, we'll stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for days like today, uh, as we've prayed so often, a reminder of how your mercies are new every morning, a reminder of the declaration of the psalmist that would say that this is the day that you have made and we can rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to rejoice and be glad in it. There's much that we are, can be grateful for. And Father, even as we're reminded through our time through Hebrews of Christ, our forerunner, who has gone before us because of his life and death and resurrection, because of the cross of Christ, we now can draw near. Lord, you've given us a standing invitation that in any time we need and want, we can come and see and come and hear and come and dine, that we can enter into the most holy place with boldness because of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God. And Father, our prayers this morning go outside of our own four walls. We pray for the country of Burma. Lord, we lift up the people to you this morning. We pray that the gospel would go forth, that you would open their eyes and hearts to the hope of Jesus Christ. Father, we even pray for the leaders, 
that you might convict them, that you would open their eyes and turn their hearts away from the path of evil and to, Lord, to surrender to you, we pray. And Father, we lift up Pastor Kevin and Dave and FBR and other groups like them that are rushing into dangerous places to help, Lord, to be light and salt. God, we pray that you protect them, provide for them. Lord, embolden them. And we're so honored and grateful that we get to uh, join in the ministry as we pray and support from here in Okinawa. And so, Father, we just lift up the nation of Burma to you this morning. Our time in your word, Lord, speak, we pray. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Take a moment. You can say hello to someone and then have a seat. We'll jump right in. Some of you might remember this past Friday being March 11th. It marked the 11-year anniversary of the great Tohoku earthquake and tsunami. And uh, that day, uh, and there are a few in my life, 9-11 is another, uh, uh, you know, the day that the space shuttle uh, Challenger exploded uh, the day that my mom passed away. And then there's some events in my life that just have left it an indelible mark upon my heart. I, I can recall that day and the events of that day with great clarity. And, and 3-11 is one of those days. It's amazing to think it's been 11 years uh, since that happened. This terrible earthquake that set off really a chain of other horrible events. Uh, the tsunami being one and and then, you know, the, the Fukushima uh, reactor and, you know, all that that's happened, kind of a trifecta of just disaster that even today, you know, they're still dealing with, uh, you know, the fallout of that and rebuilding of lives. And, you know, that earthquake, history tells us, or online tells us, uh, it was one of the top three or five, I'm not, I can't remember exactly, you know, greatest earthquakes ever recorded in history. Um, you know, I, and I've been, I've been through some, some pretty big earthquakes. Maybe you have too. You know, I, I lived in Southern California for a couple of years. And uh, for me, I remember the, the very, you know, first earthquake that was big, that, that scared me quite a bit, that got me out of bed and out, you know, ran out of the house in the street was the Landers quake in 1992. I don't know if you guys remember that. Uh, I was actually still here in Okinawa when the Big earthquake happened in San Francisco. Remember, it stopped the World Series. Is anybody else alive at 89? You guys remember? <laughs> Some of the younger these kids weren't right. <laughs> um, but you know, they've been through some some big earthquakes, and of course, just I think uh, in recent years, you know, we we're of course with media now and news and social media, we're, we're you know apps. We're very aware of earthquakes happening. Uh, much more. You know, there's the earthquake that happened in Peru in 2001. That was pretty devastating. And then, of course, in Indonesia, which that tsunami, I, I mean, as terrible as the one in mainland was, that tsunami 
uh, took 220,000 lives. If you remember uh, just, again, the, the devastation of, of, you know, the result of that particular earthquake. And uh, I think even just a few years ago in Mexico City, uh, you know, where buildings collapsed, it was just terrible. And then, he, and then just the past few weeks, I don't know about you, but I feel like uh, there's been an earthquake almost every other day, uh, you know, uh, here in Okinawa. And bring all this up because as we get to this section, when the writer begins to talk about shaking, uh, the word that he uses in the Greek, it's the word seo, and it's where we get the English word seismic from. And it, it refers to, if you will, like an earthquake, it's tremors, it's shaking, it's agitation. And so we're going to be reading about God shaking things. Now, last week, if you were with us, uh, you might remember that as we stepped into this section, I, we noted together that the writer is brought three pictures of contrast. He, he goes back to the Old Testament, he kind of opens the photo album, and he pulls out these, these stories to make a point to the Hebrew Christians. And each of these pictures that he paints for us or presents to us were a series of contrasts. The first was, uh, and we didn't read it this morning, but verses 18 and 19 and 20 where he's talking about how we haven't come to Mount Sinai. When we come to faith, it's not like how the children of Israel began. We have a different starting point. And so for them, when they came to Mount Sinai, it represents the giving of the law. And so it was a, a code that God had gave given them, and yet the people, you know, took that and, and basically developed more codes out of it, right? They, they just legalized everything, or legal, uh, uh, became a, a really legalistic, uh, following the Lord. And so the writer is saying, listen, we, we haven't entered into the old covenant, nor have we entered back into it. Uh, when Christ came, that it closed. We, when we come to faith, we've come into a new covenant. We've come to a different set of circumstances. He uses the imagery of coming to Mount Zion. That represents a whole new relationship with God and how we walk with the Lord. And so that was the first picture of contrast, these different mountains. And then the second picture he presents was the people and how they responded when they heard the word of God. And he basically uses it as a warning. He says, you know, the people, when they were there, when God spoke, they heard God speak, and, and there's a temporary uh, submission to what God was saying. But in the end, they rejected it, they refused it. They said okay with their mouth, but by their lifestyle, they didn't obey the Lord. And we noted, if you're with us, it only took them 40 days before they started worshiping and dancing around this golden calf. 40 years that they would wander the wilderness. And because of their rebellion and their rejection of what God's word told them, they weren't allowed to enter in. And so the writer uses that as a, a contrast of a warning to say, listen, if that happened to them and they heard God and they saw Moses and Moses gave them the message, uh, how much more do you think uh, judgment will happen for us who would hear the word of God today and hear the gospel and the love of God and what Christ has done and to turn away from, from you know, God's gift of grace? 
And really the message he, the writer has been um, peppering throughout this whole letter has been one where he's saying, don't fool yourself. God doesn't play with your soul and God doesn't play with sin. And just because it didn't seem like there was a group that was around the Hebrew Christians that they were interested in the gospel, they were uh, fascinated by the idea of Jesus being the Messiah, and yet for whatever reason they came short of faith. They're intrigued by it, they appreciated it, I mean like the people, they weren't really saved. And so there's, at times it seems he, the writer addresses that group saying, listen, don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can just sit and listen and and come to church and think that you're going to be okay. Or don't think that just because your family, you know, heritage was one of of following God and and, and you're coming around that that, that's that's your ticket to heaven. And so sometimes the warnings are sobering. And that warning still applies for us today. Along with God's standing invitation for any that come to faith, to turn from sin and to give your life to the Lord. The Bible says that God desires that none should perish and all would come to repentance. And yet, it's still um, highlighted by the fact that, that God doesn't play with your soul. And so neither should we. The third contrast, this third picture, which we're going to consider today, we parked from last Sunday is that when God spoke from the mountaintop, that we read how the earth would shake, that literally there was this tremor, this this agitation that happened, but, but also it happened figuratively, maybe even spiritually, where the lives of the people who were being brought out of bondage in Egypt were coming into something new, and so God, if you will, was shaking them in their hearts and in their lives. He's going to do something new with them. Now the writer tells us God's still doing that. And once more, God is going to shake things up, not just earth, but also heaven. And so it's this third picture that we will unpack this morning. I I wanted to backtrack a little bit to help keep context. So verse 25 where he says, see that you don't refuse him who speaks. As I already mentioned, the basic idea is that God doesn't play games. As the Lord was very faithful to speak to Israel in his love and his warning, filled with hope and promise, God still speaks the same way today. And the difference, though, is that the old former system has closed the old covenant to come to God through the sacrificial system. The Bible tells us that Jesus, if you will, fulfilled that. He was the final perfect installment. All of the the debt has been paid. It has been canceled. But Jesus himself fulfilled all of that. And so now that old contract, if you will, it's complete it's like the day that we paid off, you know, Christie's student loan. Woohoo! We're free. The 
contract and the debt has been satisfied, and we then have been brought into a brand new living way through Christ. And it's not through legalism. It's through a loving relationship. It's not rules and rituals. It's not a sacrificial system. It's organic. It's dynamic. It's fresh. It's alive. It grows. It's it's strengthened. And it's made all available to us because of what Christ has done. God is still as serious about sin. He's still as serious about our souls and and where we're going to spend eternity as ever. The idea, the the, uh, exclamation point is that there's no other way to heaven. And so when God speaks, don't reject that. Don't refuse that. And he tells us that when God spoke, verse 26, that the earth shook. And again, we looked at that. We the writer kind of reminds us of that scene, the Mount Sinai. It was a terrible, wonderful, frightening, uh, incredible sight. The people were awestruck, both with wonder and with fear. Dark clouds and a storm and a tempest and, and, you know, and the sound of trumpets. It was just this kind of sensory overload. And the ground literally shook. You remember we read how even in, inside, if you were, like they, they were shaken. What we didn't talk about last time that I want to mention this time is that what he's quoting from the Old Testament, he's quoting from the prophet Haggai. And Haggai himself wasn't there at Mount Sinai, but, but Haggai as a prophet, you know, centuries later, looks back to that event as God brought Haggai and his contemporaries back into the promised land, he himself reaches back into history. And he says, this is what God did before, and God is doing a new thing, and he's going to continue to do this. And so now the writer of Hebrews looks back and grabs what Haggai said about another event that happened before. And he adds in the idea that this is what God is doing now. Yeah, God shook things up before, and God shook things up in Haggai's day, but God is still shaking things up. And I want to submit to you, there's, there's almost like a, a, a dual fulfillment of that particular prophecy. One that happened when Christ came. Because no other event in history arguably has shaken the the lives of people than the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that transaction, if we can call it that, was a cosmic, seismic event. And it too was punctuated by an earthquake, right? When Jesus died, the Gospels say that a great earthquake took But more than that, what the writer is offering, I submit to you that, yes, it's that event, it's the gospel, it's Christ who came and lived and died and rose again. But God is still shaking things up. And it's in the spiritual realm. The beginning of God's kingdom was ushered in when Christ died as the birth of the church 
took place and the bride of Christ took place. And, and then spiritually speaking, in many ways, right, it shook the, the religious leaders of their day. The establishment, the domineering of the people. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, would go into a, a, a synagogue and he would read from the scroll of Isaiah. And in this day, it was going to be a day where the captives were going to be set free and, and the eyes of the blind were going to be opened. And Jesus reads that portion, he rolls, you know, folds it back up and he, and he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your sight. Of course, he's speaking about himself. And you guys know, man, Jesus was a, a maverick. The Bible says that he taught like nobody else taught. Where all the other religious leaders would kind of quote from the other rabbis, and so-and-so says this, and so-and-so says this. The manner of authority which Jesus spoke. And yet, as the scripture says, right, truth and grace so gracious, so loving, so kind. With authority and, and, and grace and kindness, a friend of sinners. So unusual. He threatened the establishment. So now here the author reaches back to this prophecy in Haggai and he explains he gives his commentary of what, what is Haggai talking about? Yet once more, God says, I'll shake not only earth, but also heaven. In verse 27, the writer explains, now this once more, this is what it means. And so he's done all my work for me. It's awesome. Here's our exposition. And I suggest to you that it, it doesn't only mean a one-time event. It's not like when God gave the law at Sinai is just one singular event, but that it's a continual act of work that God is doing. Oh, it began with Jesus, but it continues in, by the Spirit of God to this day as it did in their day as the original readers, the audience would read that, and as we read it today. What is God doing? He's shaking things up. And the writer says specifically the things that are made. And he goes on to explain, what are the things that are made? It's the things of this life. I want to give you my outline ahead of time, just from the rest of those verses a fourfold purpose I see here for why God shakes things up. Number one, it's to reveal. It opens our eyes to what's temporal and what's eternal. What's important and what's not. And sometimes God will shake things in your life to open your eyes to that reality. Along with that, as the writer tells us, it indicates the removal of those things. God will shake things up in your life and mine to not only reveal what's important, what's not, but at times to then re either remove the thing or remove our trust in that thing. Number three, it prompts us to respond. 
Verse 28, there's our application. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that's not shakable, let us come by grace. Let us, let us serve the Lord. So how do we respond then to when we see God shaking things up, revealing to us what's important and what's not? Oh, we're to respond then by approaching in grace and with worship and service. And, and lastly, it serves to reassure us. We don't have to fret or fear. When things start to unravel and the things of this life begin to crumble and corrode and collapse, God says, I got you. You are mine and you are in an unshakable kingdom. And so it reassures us. So let's talk first about what's being shaken. Notice the text doesn't give us specifics. It just says things. And if you go to the, the original Greek in which this is written, uh, that word things, it means things. <laughs> it's just a broad category. It's poeo, and it means all things. It's constructed things, material things, systems, positions, possessions. Even actions, you're going to just think like all nouns. It's the Bible version of like the thingamabob, or if you have any connection to Hawaii, you know, the kind. God's just shaking the kind. It just means everything. And I don't know about you, I, I feel like, yeah, I can say amen to that. It almost feels like God's shaking things in this last season where the intensity of that shaking has increased. A couple years ago, my wife got one of those, those uh, massage machine gun things. You ever see that? It's a crazy contraption. It's like an impact drill. But it has these different levels of intensity. And so I was curious, you know. I wonder if I could handle level 10. <laughs> I felt like all my teeth will rattle out. Like it just, you know, you have one of those things, right? It'll, it'll rattle your bones. Uh, Christy loves it. Anyways. <laughs> I feel like God's kind of cranked the agitation. Like we're, we're getting to level 10. But what happens when, when things are, sh are shaken or shook? Well, I submit to you that one thing that happens is it, it reveals the the stability, the integrity, the strength of the thing that's being shaken. Again, we understand that in the natural. Buildings and earthquakes, you know, an earthquake will test, if you will, right, the durability and the stability, the strength of the materials and whether they'll stand or not. But even I think in terms of, if this includes all things, not just material things, if it includes institutions and ideologies. Well, it looks a little different when those things are shaken, and yet the result is still the same, right? It tests the integrity and the stability of those things. And you think about the last couple of years, what things in our life, what institutions, what things that, that we have tend to place trust in and security in, have been shaken up quite a bit. I think there, the list can be long. I'll just offer a few of my own observations. 
I think one thing that has been shaken that we have long leaned upon and looked to find security in, and we think, oh, this is good, this is intact, is, is governments, politicians, appointed and elected officials. Now, we can go through history and realize, oh, there's always been this type of uh, volatility to kingdoms and kings and leaders and coups, and I mean, there's always this movement of world powers. But it seems to me by observation that so much that's happening in the world, there's this, this shakeup where of people that maybe we thought, oh, we think this person's good, or we trust this institution, or these things, and then all of a sudden we realize there's corruption there. And so much so, I, like at least for me, sometimes I don't even blink an eye. You know, it doesn't even make one day news cycle. It's almost like it's commonplace. Just we expect it now that our politicians are going to be corrupt. There's this growing distrust and mistrust for government leaders. I mean, even nations that, that at one time, I think we thought, oh, you know, I'd like to go visit there. Like, they're democratic. They seem like you have freedom of movement. And then how lately it seems as though their leaders are becoming, you know, like... Uh, totalitarian, like setting up their own dictatorship. I don't know about you, but it, to me, I feel like it's just crazy. All this in my notes. You know in Japan, at the beginning of the year, there's, there's some uh, guy, I don't know how they got that job, but there's some guy that will basically give the word of the year. Did you know that? And he'll go and make this big kanji. And like, this is the word of the year. And I forget what it was. I'm like, I know what word I would pick. Crazy. That would be the word I would pick. Crazy. That's what this last couple years have been. Crazy and crazier. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like there's a shaking of people's trust of politicians and governments. And right alongside that is then, you know, financial institutions. And I would even add money itself. And I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, so don't misunderstand me, but I think there's some truth to the element where we read about this push for an increase of, of, you know, just a one-world currency. You know, and a lot of talk about resetting, right? The Great Reset. And these globalists, these wealthy, powerful people who want to basically just break our current structure and, and put in a one-world currency and along with that, a one-world government. And of course, I, I believe that because that's what the Scriptures talk about and how it seems there's a growing you know, lack of confidence in our currency. People are turning to digital money and cryptocurrency and there are those who are trying to sound the alarm to say, hey, that's where, you know, that's where money's going and so... We see the ridiculous spending and in many countries, not just Japan and the United States, you know, debts and deficits. It's in, if I pick another word for the year, ridiculous. It's, it's moved into that category, absurd. And so here we see financial systems being shaken. 
And I think along with that, you know, then you add in authorities in healthcare and big pharma, especially those last few years, and medicine, and all that's happening with COVID. I think it's just amplified and exasperated this, sadly, this, we see even corruption in the healthcare industry. And people that we would we'd think we could trust and would want to trust with national policies of, of, of care, right, and of health and the sad part of it, though, is that it's tainted almost like the whole thing. And so then you have people who genuinely, you know, good doctors and nurses who, who genuinely love people and have a calling and they care, and yet they get lumped in because of all this other nonsense. And so what happens? There's a growing distrust and mistrust of health care and the medical professionals. God's shaking these things up. I'd add right alongside that, then you know, scientists and institutes of research and higher education. A lot of debate about, you know, follow the science and set these policies in one week and then the next week it changes and then a month later it changes. And it's all these, you know, quote unquote, fine, you know, scientific experts. And then I, again, for me, I'm like, I don't even know who to trust anymore. Global warning and warming and push for green energy and, and all these ever-changing policies, again, due to COVID. Like God's shaking that up. I, I'd add in I, family and society and traditions and I mean <laughs> I'm not that old I even what was quote-unquote you know a norm for me as a kid is gone I mean already the erosion of marriage and family had begun but man I feel like it has accelerated in these last few years then you have the introduction of this ideology Adoption and again, I would say uh, rapid spreading of, of this ideology of wokeness promotes this ungodly one. One of its tenets is this ungodly idea that gender is fluid, like you can just pick. Along with that is the celebration and, and normalization of sexual immorality. Like it's just a part of regular life now. I feel like I can barely find a TV show that I can watch anymore. Like I'm just left to cooking shows. And sometimes even that, I'm like, why do they got to use that language, you know? You're making cookies. <laughs> and it just becomes a part of life. Like we, almost like we become, you know, desensitized to it. The amount of graphic violence and, and sexual immorality and just the part, right? TV shows and movies and social media and commercials. And, and so family and society, traditions, the norms, you know, what defines family? What defines marriage? What, what defines a boy or a girl? It's all being shaken. 
And I feel like I can keep going. I'm sure you can think of other things. You think about the media itself. I remember as a kid, like, there are certain news outlets, you know, like, oh, you kind of trust the news. And I don't know, I don't know any news to trust anymore. I follow around, like, those independent people, right? They're just filming stuff on their iPhone now. The judicial system. I mean, even just the normal life of just trusting, you know, like the supply chain. Where's the coffee creamer? Lord, right? (laughs) Sitting on a boat somewhere. Look, God's shaking things up. Oh, I struck a nerve, I know. Look at that, right? (laughs) Don't mess with my coffee creamer. Let me add one last one and we'll move on. I'm taking a little bit of an excursion from the text, but I, I think in terms of the things that God is shaking the things of this earth, I, I would add this, the body of Christ. I think God is shaking us. The church is being shaken. And I think it's a good thing. You know, there's a part that's sad because it reveals and it removes the things that, that aren't stable. And, and we're watching this happen in real time, right? We're watching, I mean, Again, churches and pastors, ministry leaders, blog writers, musicians, who may at one point had a platform and a lot of influence, and all of a sudden, you're like, where, where did they go? What happened to them? They fell from grace. It seems like they didn't take a whole wave of people that follow. And more and more you hear this term, I know there's always been waves of different doctrines, but you know, progressive Christianity become really popular amongst the young people especially. The idea of like, well, we need to deconstruct our faith. If your faith is built on something else, then yeah, deconstruct that. It, but our faith needs to be built on Jesus Christ. And so in some sense, it's good that God is shaking His church. Because it reveals what are we built on? Where's our foundation? Gang, I want to say this in love. Listen, I, we, you, me, we can't put our trust and foundation in a movement or a man. It has to be in Christ. Now, certainly I don't ever, I don't have it like in my planner, like one day I'm going to d- disappoint you or fail you. Like I, I want to go to glory, like, you know, preach the gospel on a Sunday and go to glory Monday. But we have to be careful because I think sometimes what shakes people up is because, man, they've placed their faith, they've placed their hope, they've placed their reliance on, on, on man, on a movement, on a denomination. It, it needs to be upon Christ. And, and I think in many ways, God's allowed COVID. I mean, I hate COVID. I hate everything about it. And yet I think God has used it as an instrument to to shake things up, to rattle us a little bit. Like, what will it take for us to stop worshiping? What will it take for us to start fighting each other? Because you're watching that happen, right? And what will it take for us to give up what we believe to be our God-given rights, 
for the exchange of the illusion of security. See, God is shaking things up in the world and, and He does so that what we're told here is He wants to reveal and remove the things that are unstable. So that first part, it reveals the, the, the source of our security, the stability of that thing that we're relying in. And once we see it, as we read here, God wants to remove it. Yes, it's the thing, but I, I want to submit to you that more than the thing, it's our trust in the thing. It's our dependence upon the thing. Because the thing, it's temporal. And I don't know about you, it's easy for me. I gravitate that. I find my security and identity. I begin to trust in things. And you know, when it begins to shake, well, it reveals, hey, is this thing stable? Have I built my life? Have I put my trust in the right things? Because there's going to be a day when, uh, yeah, guess what? There's not going to be any money. And you're not going to have a savings or a vocation or a house. Or See, God, God loves you and He wants you to trust in Him First and foremost, and I'd add in fully, and not on anything else and not on anyone else. Well, it's not to say you can't have a house and a job, and please don't get me wrong. But I think sometimes we can be prone to, uh, if you will, invest in that. We go all in on the things of earth. And so, the writer says God's shaking these things up so he might remove those things that are being shaken. And again, it happens in two ways. It, literally, it's going to happen. One day, the institutions of this world are going to be gone. The governments are going to be gone. The kingdom of God is going to be manifest. Christ is coming back soon. Peter says, hey, one day it's all going to burn, baby. And he even asks the question, if that's true, then how should we live? What should be our pursuits? You guys know who Johnny Cash is? I don't know if the worship team knew who Johnny Cash is. <laughs> There's this line in a Johnny Cash song he sang uh, in his older years. And the song is called Hurt. You can Google later. But it's haunting to me. This, this, this couple of lyrics. He sings and he says, What have I become? my sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the end. And here's the line. And you can have it all, my empire of dirt. When I remember listening, I was like, whoa. Because you think about, if you know who Johnny Cash is, if you don't, you can go to him later too. <laughs> right? His earthly wealth, his earthly accolades, his awards, his, you know, he, he is what many, you know, in the music industry would strive for, right? Prominence and longevity. I mean, I think it's something really revealing when he says, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. There's truth to that. The things of this world are going to fade away. 
They're all going to burn up. And one day, the eternal will be revealed. The Bible says that Christ is going to come and, and, and rule and reign. And guess what? We're invited to do that along with him. And God then shakes things up in our life now to reveal to us the instability of what this world offers so that he might then remove our trust in that and, and remove, if you will, our, our dependence upon it. Because if you're like me, it's easy just to gravitate to the things I see and what everybody else is trusting in. Beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and actually at the end, so there's this two times this interesting snapshot of Jesus where he, he goes into the temple area and he, and he looks more like Indiana Jones. You know this scene? He comes in and, and if you're familiar with it, you know, like he's flipping over tables. The Bible says he fashions the whip and he's chasing out what's called the money changers. And he says to them, you've made my father's house into a den of thieves when God wants it to be a house of prayer, a place to seek the Lord, a spiritual place. But the religious leaders corrupted it. He used it to take advantage of people and, and it became a place of monetary gain, of material gain. And the Lord, it says, he was moved with righteous indignation and he, and he upset all those tables and he removed them. You know, gang, I, if I can spiritualize it, that's what God wants to do in our hearts too because there's times where we can allow stuff to set up, if you will, in our hearts that don't belong. And we're, we're more consumed about material things. We're more concerned about the things of this life. And we've given little to no attention about the spiritual things, the eternal things. And so, yeah, guess what? Jesus wants to rattle you a little bit. Shake things up for the purpose of removing that. I mean, just ask yourself the question and think it through. What would happen if all of a sudden one day... Tomorrow, you open your bank account and it's gone, or your savings is gone. What will happen to you? What will that event do to you in terms of your faith and your walk? What remains? You know, I, again, I'll speak for myself. I think I can and we can be sometimes... Uh, overly concerned with what things look like. It's just the external. We're consumed with the veneer stuff. And God's, you know, God's always concerned about the heart. And so sometimes we just we pay a lot of attention and interest and money and, and pursuit in just the outward things. This past week I went to the dentist. I'm embarrassed to say I have cavities. So the doctor, you know, he had taken some x-rays, and he said, oh, yeah, here's one, and so they're going to work on that first one. So I'm there in the chair, which I dread. Have you guys been to the dentist lately? Like, they are so behind in technology, right? Like, it's like instruments of torture. There's still, like, the metal devices. It's a drill. Like, like come on, don't you have other things, you know? So he 
begins to drill in my mouth, and then I hear him say, oh, and I'm like, oh, it's like, oh, good, oh, bad, what's, it was, oh, bad, because so when he drilled in, he's like, oh, the, the cavity was much worse than I could see in the x-ray, so you had to basically get in there and realize, like, oh, this thing's corrupted, it's bad, you know, I was embarrassed, but I wanted it fixed. Yeah, dig in there, get it out, remove the cavity, and he did. And then he, you know, filled it with whatever magical stuff they fill it with. So I can eat more sugar, so, you know. <laughs> but brush and floss better this time. Yeah, that's what the Lord wants to do. Sometimes, you know, we kind of look good, it's just this is veneer of stuff, and God's like, I, I want, I'm going to shake that up and, and rattle you. I, it needs to go. Why? Well, the third point, so that things can remain. See, not only is what happens is it reveal the things that have to go, it also helps us to see what, what needs to stay. What is of value? What remains intact? Well, what remains intact? An unshakable kingdom. It's spiritual things. It's eternal things. And if that's true, the idea, the connecting thought is, and that's what we should pursue. That's what we should invest in. Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust, and if I can add the Okinawa version, and mildew destroy. He says, store up your treasures in heaven. We're to invest in the bank of heaven. And sometimes God shakes things up to reveal to us, oh, I, I've had the wrong pursuits. I've been spending time and energy in the wrong thing. And there's grace there. It's a gracious act. It's a loving act. Where God says, yeah, I want you to invest in the things of me. Pursue my kingdom and my righteousness. I know what you need. I'll take care of you. And sometimes God shakes us up just because we're lazy. We become spiritually lethargic. We have no interest in the things of God. And so God shakes us up. So we're invested in career and sports and hobbies and all these external things. Again, please don't misunderstand me. It's not that we shouldn't do those things. It's just when they take precedent over the things of God. Because what happens is we, we then begin to value comfort and convenience. And when we ascribe that then to our spiritual life, we're like, oh, that's too far. It's too much trouble. It's too long. It costs too much. And yet we forget it's the spiritual investments that will remain it's the spiritual investments that pay off the greatest dividends. We fool ourselves. The, the poorest investment that you and I can make is in the empire of dirt, in the combustibles. Outside of my apartment complex, there's these two cages. One says incombustible, and the other one, they misspelled it, says combustibees. <laughs> We don't want to invest in the combustibees. <laughs> I don't know, gang. Maybe, maybe God's been shaking your life up a little bit lately. 
It's not comfortable, right? And there's an element where that massage gun, like, oh, that feels good, but if it goes up too high, it's like, stop! God might be doing that in your life right now just to remove the thing that doesn't belong, to replace it with something of greater value, an investment of something of greater value. So he does that, number three, again, he prompts us then to respond. If we reveal uh, what's of worth and what's not worth, and God then wants to remove either our dependence upon it or that thing itself, then the next part of it is, he says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which can't be shaken, let us have grace. It's a completely different deal. We don't we don't, we don't worship or serve God by the letter of the law. It's grace. But in that grace, there's an invitation. Let's serve. Let's worship. Let's invest in the things of God. And so it, it, it prompts us to respond to the things that we've received. We received grace. We received forgiveness. Remember, the writer talks about this indescribable gift, this great treasure that we have in Christ. And so, yeah, the Lord shakes things up to reveal what's of value, what's of worth. With the desire that our response would be then to give back to the Lord what He has so graciously given us. Paul writes to the Romans, right, that we might present our lives as a living sacrifice. Our acceptable worship, our acceptable service. I'll just ask you in love. Understand, too, there's no obligation that's derived from guilt. We move into a whole different paradigm. We get to worship. We get to serve. We get to give. We get to. It's a joyful opportunity, not an obligation. It's an invitation. But here's the question for us, the diagnostic real quick. Are, are we investing in the things of God? And lastly, verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. And the last point I want to make, and I'll close quickly, God shakes things up. And when we see it happening, we watch what's happening in the world today, this growing um, loss of confidence in government and institutions and money, the things that we thought, man, wasn't that stable, the stock market, whatever. We don't have to fret. God reminds us, listen, we are secure <laughs> We are citizens of an unshakable kingdom. And so all that's happening in the Middle East, all that might happen with China or North Korea, God's got you. And so this statement then, there can be one or two responses. Either it's going to serve as a, as a comfort for you, or it's going to serve as a, a source of consternation. It'll make you a little fearful. God is a consuming fire. See, there's an element of this where God being consuming fire, if you know the Lord, it comforts. 
It's a work of God that purifies and protects us. When the children of Israel were walking through the desert, He sent a pillar of fire to guide them and protect them. They weren't afraid of it. And we understand kind of a, an earthly example, right? If, you know, I'll pick on somebody. I'll use George. Is it okay, George? Although it's hard, it's hard to imagine this, but you know, George's pretty buff, right? Like, if if you're not if you don't know George and have a friendship with George, and I say to you, hey, George can break you in half, right? You might, oh man, I want to stay away from him. But no, he's my friend. So when I'm with him, he's my protection, right? <laughs> but he's so smiley. It's hard to believe that you know he would do that anyways. But see, when we know the Lord, like we're not afraid of God, drawing close to the Lord, drawing near to the Lord. The idea that God being our consuming fire is a good thing, right? Because he wants to purify our life. It's the idea of bringing warmth and comfort and security. He refines us in his love. But if you don't know the Lord, God being a consuming fire, that's a scary thought because it speaks to God's judgment and God's wrath and God's destruction that one day will be unleashed and destroys everything. And so God shakes things up that we might then see that the, the stability and reliability of the things in our life would be exposed. It causes us to make an evaluation then, man, where have I been putting my trust? Do I need to remove that and place it in the things that remain, the things that are eternal? And the answer is yes. God wants us to pursue that. We get to respond then by, in grace, an invitation to come and invest in the things of God and worship the Lord and serve the Lord. And when all of it happens, we don't have to be rattled. We're secure. God's got you. He uses this to purify us and to refine us, and that's a good work. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, may may these truths be more than abstractions. God, make them applications. And however we might respond to them, Lord, help us to yield to the work of your Spirit. As we consider our lives and, and what we've been pursuing and what we have look to for our security and our identity and our stability. God, help us to make sure that it is built on you, that it's anchored on Christ, for everything else is sifting and sinking sand. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. I pray you have an amazing Sunday.